Well, we've been in this series called Experiencing the Miracle, and I hope that as we've talked through some ideas in the last three weeks about Christmas, that it's not just something you hear, it's not just something you think about, but it's really something that we experience. And, and as I already shared with you, very rarely do I share with you up front what I want you to get out of the message today. But here's what I really want you to do. I want uh, uh, what, what God has put on my heart, I want it to affect you in such a way that every time you walk by a manger scene, it wrecks you. It wrecks your heart. It wrecks your emotions. It wrecks your thoughts. And you'll understand better what I mean as we talk through. Now, I know some of you are panicking already because you saw your sermon notes. Uh, Pastor Derek said to me today, I don't think I've ever seen a sub uh, point go to letter J before. Are we going to get through before lunch? I said, yes, we'll, we'll make it through. But actually, when I was doing, uh, putting the sermon together, I was actually down to letter X. So I've cut out a lot of stuff. So be thankful for that. Let's get started. As we talk about experiencing the miracle today of the manger, that's what I want us to focus on. And I want us first to focus on the astonishing claims about Jesus. You know, we look at manger scenes a lot of times. We see this little baby uh, there in front of Mary and Joseph, and it doesn't probably bring much to our minds. We think we know what it means and, and all of that, but I want us to go through these letters pretty quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them, but I want us to really think about the astonishing claims about Jesus. And like I said, I've cut these down uh, to about a third of what I wanted to start with. But let's get started. The first one is this. He was born to a virgin. Look what it says in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. It said, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man named, whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, if there were another, uh, no other claims or no other truths about Jesus besides this one, that would be enough. That would be enough. The fact is that Jesus, born to a virgin, violates all of the natural laws of biology. There's just no possible way this could happen. In, in our normal thinking, in the normal way the world works, uh, this is alone a miracle. If there were nothing else for us to talk about, this alone would be miraculous enough for us to be in awe as we look at every manger scene. But it's only the beginning. We see that angels announced his birth. I want you to listen as a little boy, Linus, tells us about this great truth about Christmas. And I want you to pay attention uh, in Charlie Brown's um, uh, television shows, the animated television shows, Linus only drops his blanket one single time. I don't know if you've ever known that or if you've ever paid attention, but watch this clip. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. 
lights, please? And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That was released on network television in 1965. And Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts, he got into a very uh, big disagreement with the network. They wanted to cut that out because they didn't like the biblical reference. That's straight out of Luke chapter 2. And he stuck to his guns and actually, uh, although I'm a Pepsi guy, Coca-Cola kind of came to the rescue. They were sponsoring it and they said, we're sticking with Charles. If he doesn't get what he wants, we're not going to sponsor it. And so the network gave in and played that. Did you notice that he dropped his blanket when he said, the angel said, fear not. That's his security blanket. He needs it for security. But when he began to talk about the angel saying, fear not, he was able to drop his security blanket. But I wanted you to pay attention to the fact that angels announced his birth. Folks, this is, this is huge. I, I, now, when you guys, uh, when young families in our church send us an announcement that they're, they're pregnant and they're going to have this new baby, we're very excited about that. We, we, there's more than one way to grow a church, and we, we grow it that way sometimes, you know, and uh, we love that. But listen, it would, it would really pack a lot more punch if you would just send a bunch of angels to our house to announce the fact that you're going to have a baby. I mean, can you imagine that? Just going about your daily business, and all of a sudden, the, the, the sky is filled with angels announcing this birth. That's the announcement uh, of Jesus being born. Pretty incredible. We also see that Jesus existed before time. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but I want us to look again at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 14. Here's what it says. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We see three big things in this passage. First, he existed before time. The fact is, Jesus pre-existed. One of the things that makes him completely different than you and I, although he took on the form of human flesh, he pre-existed. We come into existence uh, uh, when we are conceived. We don't have any pre-existence. Jesus was with God and was God, according to that uh, passage in John chapter 1. He existed before time, but he is God. He is God. In that passage, it says that he not only was with God, he was not only a part of what was going on, but he is, in fact, God. That's right. This little baby in the manger that we see is actually God himself. And then we also saw from that passage that he is the creator. He is the creator. Nothing was made that was made without him. 
And so as we look around and we see everything uh, that was made on this planet, we realize that nothing was made without that baby, Jesus. The one we see in the manger is also the one that created everything. That's astonishing, folks. That is astonishing. We also see that he gives living water. In John chapter 4, he's uh, uh, talking with the woman who's getting water out of a well. And uh, this is what he says in verse 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Folks, the fact is Jesus is able to give living water that feeds our soul that connects to our emotions, that connects to our heart. He has this thing uh, that he does through the Holy Spirit that wells up inside of us. He also has the power to forgive sins. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, the scripture tell us this. And getting into a boat, he, Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man did that very thing. You see, they were all amazed that Jesus could say, hey, be healed. Be healed. This man had been paralyzed. They all knew it. And Jesus, by a simple word, but Jesus said, okay, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. Listen, if there was a guy laying here on the first row that had been paralyzed for years, and, and God led someone to, to pray for him, and this man just got up and walked, that would be pretty astonishing, wouldn't it? But what's more astonishing, and Jesus is making the point, is that really a big deal or is it a big deal? In fact, it is a bigger deal for Jesus to say, all of your sins are forgiven. Wow. This, this baby who grows up to be a man has the capacity, the ability, the authority to forgive sins of mankind. Folks, we are, our, our lives are just racked with sin. And Jesus has the power to forgive them. We also see that he is the only path to God. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, folks, this is not a point of arrogance on Jesus' part to say this. It's not a point of arrogance on our part to believe this. It's simply a point of truth. That's it. If I say to you, you can't get to the North Pole if you travel south, that's simply a fact. You may not like it. You may not agree with it. You may travel south. But when you get to the South Pole, if you take a step, you're traveling north, and you can't get to the North Pole without going north. That's just simple fact. When Jesus said this, folks, it wasn't an opinion. He said, listen, you can't connect to the Father except through me. And so it's not a point of arrogance on our part or his part, either him to say it or for us to believe it. It's just the simple truth. He is the only path to God. 
And by the way, it's not what he said or what he taught. It's who he is that is the path to God. Let me explain what I mean. Now, there are many people, in fact, I have some very specific friends that just popped into my mind, that say, we try to live a Christian life. We, we've read the Bible. We try to do things that Jesus would do. In fact, we even have one of those braces, the, the you know, WWJD, what would Jesus do? And that reminds me to always do what I think Jesus would do. And that's what makes me a, a Christ follower, a Christian. Like, no, it doesn't. That's not, that's not what it is. Jesus is saying, listen, it's not just what I said or what I taught or what I, you've got to believe in me. See, the miracle of the manger is not what Jesus taught during his life. It's who he was, the son of God. That's the miracle. We also see that he has all authority in heaven and earth. They belong to him. All authority of heaven and earth belong to him. Now, we read this passage in Matthew chapter 28 quite often when we're talking about um, our mission on the earth. But we sometimes probably glance over how it begins. And I think that's important for us to look at, especially this time of year. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The fact is Jesus said right here that all authority in heaven and all authority on earth belongs to me. That's a radical statement. It's a radical, radical statement. But it's another true statement. Lastly, I want you to see that he's a perfect reflection of God. In John 10, 30, the Bible says this. This is a quote from Jesus. He says, I and the Father are one. Wow. Uh, don't have to go to seminary to figure that out. Jesus is saying, God the Father and I are the same. We're different but the same. We're part of the Trinity. I don't want to get down, go down that road too far today. But what he's saying is, listen, I'm a perfect reflection of God, and I'm the perfect reflection because I am God. Listen, I am an absolute 100% expert at being Michael Porter. It's not, it's not anything for me to say I am the best person on the planet to be Michael Porter. None of you can be Michael Porter as well as I can be Michael Porter because I am Michael Porter, right? And you can say the same about yourself. Jesus is simply saying, listen, God and I are the same. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, now, that's a bold statement. That's a bold claim. But listen, there are many other astonishing, astonishing claims about Jesus. We've really only scratched the surface. I mean, honestly, we have just <laughs> scratched the surface. Make this, I could make this probably a six-month sermon series about all the astonishing claims that are true about Jesus. But I want to get that into your mind for a minute because, again, I think we pass by these manger scenes we see a little baby there laying in some hay in a trough, and we think, that's nice, that's sweet. But I don't think our minds are open to how incredible it is. I want us also to see that incredible life transformation is attributed to him. I have friends that would say to me at this point, hey, Michael, I, I've heard all that stuff, but all that stuff you quoted was from the Bible. I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe any of that stuff is true. Okay, let's set it aside for a minute. Besides the numerous testimonies in the Bible that we could quote, throughout history there are countless numbers of people who testify to the changing power of God's Spirit 
because of this little baby in a manger. They say their lives are different. Their lives have changed. In fact, there are numerous people in this room that would testify to that because I've seen it happen in you. How Jesus has helped you. Some of you have lost your children and gone through an incredibly difficult situation and, and thought there was no way to get through it except with God's help. We've all been through some difficult situations in life. As I was putting this together, I was thinking of the two or three times in my life when uh, I've gone through what to me is a huge tragedy. And there was a time in my life that I got to the point, and I, I literally said this to God out loud, God, if you don't come and do for me what I've been telling everybody else you will do for them, I'm not going to make it through this. I can't get through this without your help. And I don't believe I could have. But you know what? He showed up. He showed up. And he helped me through it. And he restored my life to something better than I ever thought it could be. If you would have told me uh, in the middle of that situation 25 years ago that I would ever be standing on a stage talking to a hundred people about Jesus and how good he's been to me, I would have said, you were a liar. That's not possible. It can't happen. My life is too devastated. But folks, he did that. There are thousands, millions of people through history whose lives have been absolutely transformed. And I, as I look across, I mean, I, I could just go for an hour here and pick out specific people in this very room and say, here's how I've seen God change your life over the last decade. How God answered your prayers way better than you even asked. There are testimonies all over that talk about the goodness and the greatness of this little baby lying in a manger. So we see all of this stuff. We, we, we see how, how Jesus has all these wonderful claims about him, all these truths about him. We see how he's changed hundreds, thousands, millions of other lives. And then it really comes down to three logical choices about Jesus that have staggering implications. There are only three logical choices. When you see this baby in the manger and you see who he really is and what he's really done and what he's really come to the earth to do, there are only three logical choices. And the majority of the planet chooses an illogical view. They choose a view that says, I think Jesus was a good man. Oh, uh, you know, Christmas about, is about Jesus, this guy being born to a, a, a poor family and how he lived a really, really good life, always being selfless and, and good to people and loving, and then being martyred because he was a good man. Nothing could be farther from the truth, and nothing could be more illogical. Let me help you with that for just a minute. One of the things about Jesus that we've talked about is that Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. Now, this is not just, this is not just a, a, some a made-up story. Even secular history shows that a man named Jesus was crucified about the time Jesus should have been crucified for blaspheming, for saying words just like this. He and the Father are one. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Okay, this is it. Now, there's only two logical choices from that. It's either true or it's false. There are no other logical choices. There are no logical, it's either true or it's false. It's 100% true that Jesus was God or it's 100% false that Jesus was God. Even if he was a good man, it's 100% false that he was God. But even on the false side, there's still two options. Either he knew it was false or he didn't know it was false. Now, if you're a fan of C.S. Lewis, you've seen this before. Now, let's talk about the conclusions that this brings us to, the logical conclusions you can come to today about Jesus, because there are three of them. One is that Jesus claimed to be God, that was false, and he knew it was false. Now, folks, this makes him the world's worst liar. That means that he was lying about who he was, he was lying about what he was doing, and he was not only not the Christ, he was antichrist because he was intentionally and purposefully leading people away from God. He was saying, if you want to follow God, you do it through me. And he knew it was, he knew it was wrong. He knew it was a lie. He is the world's worst liar. Now, that is at least a logical conclusion to come to. It's not the one I come to, but it's at least logical. The second conclusion you can come to is that Jesus claimed to be God. That's false, but he didn't know it was false. He really believed he was. Well, he's nuts. <laughs> he's just a lunatic. I mean, listen, we, we, can, we can probably think about uh, uh, cult leaders in our culture over the last few decades that have believed they were God and they, they caused people to follow them. Those people are, have something seriously wrong in their brains. While I don't come to this conclusion about Jesus, that he was a lunatic, that's at least a logical conclusion. The only other third logical conclusion is that he's exactly who he said he was. He was the Lord God. He and the Father were one, and Jesus was God in the flesh. Now, the majority view over the, over the world is that Jesus was a good man sent from God, representing God, but he wasn't God. That is completely and totally illogical with what Jesus said. If you believe that about Jesus, I want you to understand you're choosing a completely illogical and foolish belief system about Jesus. It doesn't make any sense. Only these three make sense. Now, I'll tell you something. Given those three choices, seeing the things that have been written about Jesus, seeing the movement that he has, has led over the course of 2,000 years, seeing the transformation in my own life, there's only one conclusion I can come to, and that's that he's exactly who he said he was on that left side, the Lord. I believe that with all my heart. And not because I just choose to believe some fantasy, but believe the proof, because the proof is in the pudding, folks. The proof is in my life. The proof is in others' lives. The proof is in what I've seen God do. Now, we've actually, I've actually showed this to our congregation before, but I want us to take another step because we rarely take that step. I want us to take the step that even though we come to one of those three conclusions, there are still two fateful options that determine your life and your eternity. And that is, if you choose him to be a liar or a lunatic, you're rejecting who he said he was. Only if you believe he's the Lord do you accept who he said he was. 
Now, this determines your eternity. It determines his uh, a level of, of uh, involvement in your life. It involves his direction in your life. I mean, remember, he said that, that he was the only path to God. It, 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 it decides your level of connection to the Father, to God. Folks, the reality is, if we look at that little baby and we just think he was a nice guy uh, that was born to a poor family and said nice things and did nice things and was killed because he was a nice guy, if we believe that and that's all we believe about him, we are rejecting who he really was. And we are not connected to God. And we can't get connected to God as long as we stay on that side. It's only when we accept who he said he was, we believe it with our hearts, we, we, we accept it with our minds, we believe it in our hearts, and we put our faith and trust in what Jesus did, not only coming as a baby, but living a perfect life and dying on the cross to pay for our sins. That's the only opportunity we have to get connected to the Father by accepting what Jesus did. And folks, the reason I want us to think about this when we look at a manger is, I just don't ever want to see a manger and walk by it and not be in awe again. And I'm teaching my grandkids the best I can. We are together, Julie and I, are teaching our grandkids the best we can to help them understand this too. Again, my grandsons are 10, 8, 6, and 3. This afternoon, they're just going to come over to our house. Our kids and grandkids are going to come over to have our kind of less than extended family, but, but Christmas. And one of the things that we will do that we do every year is we bought a little, I think it's $5, you know, six-inch cake, birthday cake for Jesus. And, and one of the kids will get the honor of going to the manger and getting Jesus and bringing him into the kitchen and setting him beside the birthday cake. And then we're going to light a candle and we're going to sing happy birthday to Jesus. Now, you might think I've, you know, slipped my noodle here and lost my brain. But what I'm trying to help our kids understand, our grandkids to understand is, this is not about trees and presents. It's not about Christmas carols and, and, and even being with family. Christmas is about being in awe that the God of the universe came to earth in the form of a human being to save us to take away our sins, to live a perfect life so that he could exchange places with us, that when he died on the cross, we could, uh, get, uh, uh, we could get credit for his perfect life and he would take credit for our sinful life, that this great exchange takes place when we put our faith and trust in that. I want my grandkids to understand that and I want them to be in awe when they see Jesus in the manger. I want them to look at that and say, yeah, that's kind of a cool, I don't want to say that. I want to go, wow, that's a miracle. That is the miracle of the manger. God coming to earth as Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, 9, the Bible says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And John three sixteen says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Folks, this doesn't mean I believe he existed. This doesn't mean I believe uh, uh, that he came to earth even. It means that I, I believe completely and totally that he came to live a perfect life and die for my sins, and I put my faith and trust in that. 
100%, I know, I don't want to offend anybody, but this is the only way I can get it in my brain, okay? Uh, I've, I've, I've taken all my chips and slid them to the center of the table and said, I am all in. 100% of my belief is that Jesus will save me from my sins. I, I don't have a plan B. I don't have a backup. If that's not the truth, I'm going to be maybe in some trouble because I don't have any idea what the truth is. That 100% of my faith and trust is in the fact that Jesus died on the cross to save me. That's what he's talking about here. You saying, listen, I'm going to abandon every other thing and I'm putting all of my faith and trust in what Jesus did to save me. And folks, when we really get that, when we really get that, when we focus on that, when we think about that, I'm telling you, Every time we pass a manger, every time we pass a nativity, and we see what God did for us, we are going to just be in awe. It'll change us. It will change us if we just recognize what really happened. If you're here today and you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus, I want you to know that you can start that today. By simply praying a simple prayer, and you can do it silently, you can ask one of our leaders to help you if you want, but just praying a simple prayer like, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't fix my sinfulness by myself. I put my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for my sins. I turn from my sins and turn to you, Jesus, and I give my life to you in Jesus' name, amen. It's a simple prayer like that, that is confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart The Bible says if we do that, we'll be saved from our sins. Folks, I just want us, I just want us to never get over. I just want us to never get over what God has done for us. My life would be a wreck without him. It would be a wreck. But instead, he has wrecked my heart. Because I can't stand here and sing these songs without getting teary-eyed. I won't be able to stand today with my grandsons and hear them sing happy birthday to Jesus without weeping. Now, I know I'm in touch with my feminine side, and not everybody needs to be with, like me. Okay, I get that. I get that. I get it. All right? But listen, if you sing these songs and you pass 100 manger scenes and you do all this stuff and it doesn't affect you at all, I want you to just maybe take note of that. Take note of that and, and just say, God, is there something, is there a disconnect somewhere? Because I still can't get over the fact that the God of the universe loved me enough to let his son come to this planet and die for me. And I hope I never get over it. Let's pray. Father, oh, so indebted to you. Your love, your mercy, and your grace are almost too much to bear at times. God, help us. Help us to really understand this. Help us to really get it. Help it to change us. Father, forgive me for the times that I have been complacent, that I have walked by a nativity scene and hardly given it a second thought. The fact that you loved us enough to send your son as a baby into this world to experience life and to experience death on our behalf. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. God, change us. Help us to just uh, 
not ever get over this and to be really moved by your love for us so that it will move us to not only belief, but to action. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.